Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. There I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the, or, the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like Jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chaldony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth crystophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, 
each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the king of the earth will bring their splendor onto it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought unto it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. We're making some of you wish you had brought your Bible, right? Or opened up your Bible or opened up on your phone. Apparently we lost some of that chapter there. But what a chapter. Some of you have been waiting for this. 21 and 22. Here we go, guys. You ready for this? Let's pray, Lord. I pray again that our awe of you would increase today. Lord, let us be a people who just live in that place where we are in awe of who you are, of how great and glorious you are, and how incredible this future is that you have prepared for us. Lord, I pray that today you would captivate our hearts, our minds, and our imaginations, Lord. Lord, that nothing would captivate us, nothing in this world, no, no, no story, no, no thing, no person, no entertainment would capture our hearts and our attention like you do today. Lord, capture our hearts. Lord, let, let us be captivated by you, your greatness, your glory, your love. Lord, I pray that you would give us revelation today of who you are, fresh revelation. Reveal yourself to us through this revelation that we're reading again today. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would ignite incredible faith in our life today through this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. you may be seated. And I'll say a happy birthday to my lovely wife, Amy. It's her birthday today. So we are in chapter 21 here, and my goodness, guys, this is, this is the end of the Bible. Like, when we're done with this, where are we going to go? Like, this is the end. Like, where do you go after that? Question to kind of frame where we're going to be today and, and actually next week is, is this. What comes to your mind when you think about heaven? Where does your mind take you when you begin to go there? What kind of thoughts do you have about heaven? Do you look forward to it? Does it make you super excited? Do you kind of get wigged out by the thought of eternity and it just hurts your brain like it hurts me sometimes? That ever happened to you? It's like you begin to think about eternity and forever and forever and forever and you're like, ah, it hurts. You're like, whoa, okay, Lord. Uh, I can't even understand or comprehend that. Does anybody else feel that sometimes too? It doesn't kind of wig your brain out. You're going to think about that. Sometimes we can think like, is it really that exciting? Like I've heard things about heaven. I've read a few things. I don't know. Because there's a lot of people that think heaven's going to be boring. There's a lot of people that are really convinced it's boring. And that's why a lot of people will say, maybe you've heard this before. I'm just going to go party in hell with all my friends. That's my plan. I want to do that. That sounds way better than heaven. And, and the sad truth is your friends may be with you, but it won't be a party. It will be horrible. 
It will be a horrible, horrible, eternal existence apart from God in the lake of fire, as we see today. So what comes to your mind when you think about heaven? I love what uh, Randy Elkhorn says. He says, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He only need to convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. And he has done a good job. Satan has done a good job of convincing people. Maybe you remember those far side cartoons, other cartoons where you got the guy up on the cloud. He's just got the harp. He's playing the harp. And then he's just sitting there. He's twiddling his thumb. And he's like, I wish I had brought a magazine. Or the other one that, This guy's on a cloud just sitting there and he's just bored in heaven and he literally exclaims, God, this is boring. And so some people have this mindset of, I'm just gonna be floating in the air on a cloud and forever and ever, like what's, and so we kind of think about heaven that way and are like, that doesn't sound very appealing or desirable to me. So when you think of heaven, does it feel desirable for you? I, I pray over the next two Sundays, next two weeks, that you get a vision of heaven like never before. We're going to look at some clues and some indications of what heaven is like, and I think it's going to help us. Like, what if I told you, hey, in the next 12 months, get this, your income is going to triple. Not only that, that's, that sounds good, right? Not only that, that dream home you've always wanted, if you're going to find a killer deal on that dream home, and it will be yours. And then that, that European vacation that you always thought would be just super cool to go on, someone's going to give it to you. How would you feel about the next 12 months of your life? <laughs> yeah, come on. That sounds good. You'd be super excited. Like, man, my future is looking pretty glorious right now because of what's about to happen, right? That's what we'd be thinking. That's what we'd be feeling. Uh, but sometimes when we begin to think about heaven and our future in heaven, we kind of feel like it's less than desirable. If you're a believer, and we just kind of have this thought of like, I know it's going to be good, but I'm not sure I understand it's going to be good. And so we kind of focus on the here and now. And what happens is we make the here and now, this life, bigger, and we kind of diminish the significance of heaven while we enlarge the significance of this life. And then that's how we live. And we don't realize how incredible and glorious heaven is going to be. And so that's part of what I hope God speaks to us and shows us here uh, today. John Eldridge said this in his book, Journey of Desire. He says, nearly every Christian I've spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. After all, the Bible says the saints worship God in heaven. And without giving it much more thought, we've settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky. One great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And our hearts sink. Forever and ever? Like, that's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh and we feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. We lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. Do you identify with that? I think it's so important for us to have a healthy, proper, and biblical perspective of what heaven is like. And here's the good news. We have a lot of clues in this book. We got a lot of glimpses of what heaven is going to be like. And and it's important for us to know that this is 
the authoritative place to go on what heaven and the afterlife is all about. There's lots of great books out there, books that are made into movies. You know, people have this, you know, afterlife experience. They go to heaven and all that. Those are great. That's great. But we can't put too much stock in that. We want to make sure what lines up with Scripture. This is what God has told us about heaven. And so we go to this book, and he's told us everything we need to know. I think if he told us more, we wish he had told us more, but I think if he had told us more, we wouldn't be able to comprehend the more. It wouldn't make sense to us. So let's, uh, let's, let's look at verse 1 here as we look at Revelation 21, which gives us a really good glimpse into what heaven, the eternal heaven, is going to be like. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I remember reading that thinking, that's a bummer. I kind of like the sea. Don't you like going to the beach, like going to the ocean? Like it's kind of fun. It's kind of beautiful. And my first thought was like, I don't know. That's kind of beautiful, God. Why, did, why, why isn't that not there? But when you, when you really study and, and dive into this, you realize, especially for first century people, the sea represented separation. And so the sea, the, the ocean is what separated mankind. In fact, to travel across the sea was very dangerous. You couldn't just fly over it like we could. And so they had to get in ships. They could lose their life. It just really meant danger, separation. Also, two-thirds of our earth is covered with the sea. And the reason for that is we need all of that water to produce oxygen into our atmosphere so that life can be sustained both on land and in the water. We need all of that. But we will not need the sea in the new heavens and the new earth because God will be there and he will be the sustainer of all life. Good news is this. There will be water. That was kind of my first thought. Like, maybe you went there like, there's no sea? Like, there's no water? No, there is. There's water. Good news. It'll be there. Verse 2. I saw the whole, this is good for us too in Phoenix, right? Because we, we, Amen. like we don't know what water is here. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and, I, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Everything new. See, the God that we serve, the God that we are following, is one day going to make everything brand new. We like new things, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. You like, you like a new car? You like having a new car. It's fun. Getting a new house, it always feels good. All right, new clothes, anybody out there like shopping? Okay, you like to get new clothes? It's kind of fun, all right? You like maybe a new girlfriend, new boyfriend? Sometimes that can be fun, huh? Uh, new, new gadgets, uh, we like new things. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's weird to listen to myself <laughs> on a delay. That was... Kind of threw me off there for a second. Hey, get this, guys. Everything. Everybody say everything. Everything, everything new. 
new heaven, new earth, new city of Jerusalem, new body. You're going to have a new body. And what the Bible tells us about our glorified body is pretty glorious, pretty awesome. Our resurrected body will be like Jesus. Jesus was able to walk into a room that was, the door was locked. He just appeared in front of his disciples, but he still had a physical body because they touched him and he still ate food. And so, I mean, just think about how incredible your, glory, your glorified, resurrected body is going to be. You're going to have a new body. He's going to make all things new. This word new is, is a Greek word, kainos. It means fresh, recently made, of a new kind, unprecedented, far superior to what was before. That is what God's going to do. It's going to be far superior. So it's hard for us, again, to imagine what heaven's going to be like. It's almost like looking at a picture, a picture of a place that you've never been to. And say, so this is it. This is what it's like. You ever done that before? Like, I remember looking at pictures of the Grand Canyon before. Then I moved to Arizona, and we traveled to the Grand Canyon. And I stood there, and I thought, the pictures have not done this thing justice. Like, this thing is incredible. This is, it's huge. And it's beautiful. I remember hearing about how great Hawaii is. I'm sure it's fun. I'm sure it's cool. I've seen pictures. It's great. And then I went there. My family got to go to Maui uh, a few years ago, and, and we just experienced a week in paradise. And I'm like, okay, now I know why people like to go to Hawaii. Like, this is the place. Pictures did not do it justice. It's kind of the same way with heaven. Like, we got pictures, we got glimpses, but it's hard for us to really comprehend because we haven't been there yet. Everything that we imagine or think still falls way short of how incredible it's going to be. Like, imagine two babies in the womb having a conversation, and they're talking about what they're going to be doing when they're 25 years old. That's not even possible, like physically, mentally, you can't even, they can't even fathom that. It's kind of like the same for us. We can't fathom how great, how incredible, how glorious. God will continually blow your mind at how great heaven's gonna be. And I think if there was more positives about heaven, still, he would, we would struggle because we don't understand all of how incredible and positive it's gonna be. That's why I like that God shows some negatives here. There's some negatives, he said. This is what won't be in heaven, because that helps us. Sometimes knowing the negative of what something isn't helps us understand what it is. So did you catch that in verse 4? It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Can you imagine that? It's hard. Man, all those things that cause you pain and heartache and worry and stress and fear in this life, gone. That will cease to be a part of your existence. No more sickness. You don't have to worry about getting any news about a terminal disease because sickness won't be an issue. Death will not be an issue. All of that is no more. It is gone. So things like that kind of help us understand like, yeah, I don't like that part of life. Those things are horrible. And so to imagine a life without all of that, that does feel pretty good, actually. And so again, there's some incredible clues that help us really understand even better how great heaven's going to be. Let's keep going on here to verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. I love that. 
It is done. What's that sound like? It is finished. It is done. What Jesus said on the cross, those three last words before his life expired on the cross, taking his place in death, really taking our place in death for our sins. Jesus said, it is finished. Here, it is done, Jesus says. I am the Alpha and the Omega. He's like, I, I have always existed. I will always exist. Jesus is declaring, I exist outside of the space-time continuum that you all are a part of. That does not constrain me. When Jesus says, it is done, it is already done, friends. It has already happened. You and I haven't experienced yet, but he has declared it. What God says, what he declares is already done. Heaven is as certain today as it will be when you and I step into that place. It is done. And then he talks about this, like we can drink freely of this water of life. You know, for centuries, mankind has been fascinated with a thing like a fountain of youth. We've heard stories about it. You know, people want to find this fountain of youth and we can stay young. I want to be young and strong and agile and beautiful and handsome forever. Our, our, our culture is obsessed with this, guys. That's why people do all these crazy makeovers. They'll change their body just because I'm trying to avoid getting older. We despise getting older, which I think is a beautiful part of life, by the way. Something to embrace. But in the end, it's interesting because we long for this fountain of youth, but it actually exists. There is a fountain of youth. Isn't that interesting? There's a longing that you and I have. That's why it's a part of so many stories. And I think the reason we long for that is because it actually really does exist. I think that's evidence that there is a God, friends. You and I have a longing to live forever. Even though sometimes it hurts our brain to think about eternity and forever and ever and ever and ever, there's still a longing inside of all of us to live forever, to never die. And the Bible talks about how God has placed eternity in our hearts. That's why we long for that. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You realize that God created you for heaven. He created you for eternity. He made, and he placed a desire inside of you for that place, which really is a desire for him. That's really what it is. I think that's evidence that God exists. That there is a designer, because how we're designed longs for a life that never ends and a life that avoids pain. We have a maker. All right, verse, uh, verse seven and eight. Let's look at these here. He who overcomes will inherit all this. Again, we see one of the major themes of Revelation right there. From beginning to end, we have seen that, haven't we? If you've been in all three seasons of Revelation, if you've listened to them, there's this theme, be an overcomer. He overcomes. How do you overcome? By the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Okay, by, by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for you, 
believing in him, making him the Lord, the Savior of your life, putting your trust in him, and by declaring who he is in your life and how he has changed your life. You and I are overcomers by that. Constantly, all throughout Revelation, it's speaking to be an overcomer. And as an overcomer, you have an inheritance that's far greater than any inheritance you could ever inherit this side of eternity. The overcomers will inherit all of this. And it says, and I will be uh, his God, he will be my son, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, their place will be in a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So what is the second death? The second death is the lake of fire. It's a place that will last for eternity. Some people wrestle with, well, hell will just be like a temporary torment, but Jesus actually called it an eternal torment. It will go on forever and ever and ever. We looked at this last week in chapter 20. It talked about that when Tony took us through chapter 20. By the way, didn't Tony do a great job bringing the word last week? That was, man, it was great. It was encouraging. It ministered to us. Uh, it was a great word. Uh, but, but verse 14 was very significant. Look at verse 14 in chapter 20. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. That's the second death. Okay, so there's a first death that all of us go through. Everyone's gonna experience that first death. Hopefully you don't experience the second death. If you've put your trust in Jesus now, you, you may and likely will experience that first death, but you will not experience the second death. That's the one that lasts forever. That's the one that's in the lake of fire. And so what's interesting is two things are thrown into the lake of fire, death and Hades. What is Hades? Hades is hell, but it's basically like present hell or some scholars call it intermediate hell. It's where people go now, but that's not forever hell. Forever hell is gonna be the lake of fire. And so Hades is gonna be thrown into the lake of fire. Death will be thrown into the lake of fire. And so we will no longer need those anymore, forever and ever and ever. Death is gone, and Hades is gone. They are thrown into the lake of fire. Now, hell, death, this is one of those topics we don't like to talk talk about, right? It's very uncomfortable. Some people really try to avoid these things. I don't like to preach on hell, but I will say this. The fact that hell exists is one of those motivators for me to share my faith in Jesus, because I just don't want people to go there. I don't want people to experience that, I, not just for eternity, but I want them to experience Jesus now. I want them to find out what, what, what Jesus has for them today, in this week, and in this life, before they step into eternity, what's going to be, which is going to be far greater than what we experience even here as we experience Jesus. And death is a very uncomfortable topic. We like to avoid it. I read a study this week that says most Ameri Americans don't think about death, specifically their own death. They'll think about other people dying. They'll think about their pets dying, but not them dying. We don't like to think about this. Something in our brain causes us to reject, like, that's not for me. That, that won't happen to me. It's interesting how mentally we kind of go there. But death is unfortunately part of life. It's one of those two things we can't avoid, right? What are the two things we can't avoid in life? It's death and taxes. Can't avoid it. 
It's going to happen, and there's a growing interest in talking about death around the world. There's this thing called death dinners. Have you heard of this? Death dinners. You can go to dinner and hang out with people, and the topic of discussion is death. You talk about death around dinner. There's actually death cafes that have opened up. And so you can go to a cafe. You don't just eat cake and drink tea, but you talk about death while you eat your cake and drink your tea with people. So there's this growing fascination of people wanting to talk about death and feeling I need to talk about death. I actually found several TED Talks on the importance of talking about death. And so all of these are trying to do it in a healthy way, not in a morbid, weird, evil way, but in a healthy way, which does make sense because I think we need to think about things like that. It's gonna happen, friends. Have you ever walked around a cemetery and just thought, someday I might be here? It's an interesting exercise to do, something I've done several times in my life because you want to go to a place in this city that gives you a perspective on life? Go walk around the cemetery. You just walk around and you just read the names. And you've got these people's names on there. And you've got a, two dates on there. You've got this little dash that represents everything about their life. And you just kind of wonder, I wonder what their life was like. Sometimes there's a few words on the tombstone or the grave that describe them or says something about them. And that's all you got. You just kind of wonder, wonder, wonder what kind of life they lived. And my mind always goes to, to a... I wonder if they knew Jesus. I hope they did. It's an interesting place to go to, and I think it's a, a good place to go to just to ponder life and goals and purpose and to get a different, maybe a better perspective in life. It's something I've done with teenagers and even interns through the years. In fact, in our last church uh, up in Washington, Tony was one of our interns, and I took... I took the interns there, and I learned that Tony is deathly afraid of cemeteries. Like, <laughs> pun intended. And I didn't know this about Tony, but as I, I, like, it caused major anxiety. Whenever Tony drives by a cemetery, he has anxiety. Maybe you identify with that. I had this first person I ever encountered that had major anxiety by driving by a cemetery. And so I forced him to go spend an hour in a cemetery, and I think it messed him up for weeks. But I have this whole exercise you do just to think about life and goals and, and, and all this. I think it's a good place for you to go and just think about life. In fact, close your eyes right now. Let's, let's do a little exercise right now, okay? Everybody close your eyes just for a few minutes. Because I want you in your mind's eye to go, go somewhere with me. Imagine you're walking into the church sanctuary. You walk in and you see that the room is packed. It's full of people. You see somebody up front and they're speaking and you realize, oh, this is a funeral. They're sharing stories. They're laughing. They're crying. There's lots of tears. People are taking turns telling stories about this loved one who has died. They, they got pictures. And as you continue to pay attention, you realize they're talking about you. This is your funeral that you have walked into. So think about this for a moment. What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? What kind of legacy do you want to leave from your life? Go ahead and open your eyes.
That's an exercise called the funeral exercise. It wasn't from, but it was made popular by Stephen Covey. Seven habits of highly effective people. Habit number two, practice number two, is begin with the end in mind. It's a great principle in life and in business, in leadership, uh, but begin with the end in mind. And so you kind of do this funeral exercise, and it's one of those mental exercises that kind of gets you thinking, like, I want to make sure I live today in light of that moment. Begin with the end in mind, because the end is going to happen. Whether you like it or not, it will happen. Ready or not, friends, the end will come. Let's make sure we live today in light of the end. That's what I love about Revelation. Revelation is all about the end. It keeps forcing us to mentally go to the end and reminding us constantly it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it's not about the destruction of everything, but God's going to make everything new. And so I want to be, I want to remember that, and I want to be a part of that, and I don't want to just be a part of it. I want to live today in light of that moment. What if you and I live today in light of eternity? What if we lived every day in light of eternity? Maybe that would change how we live. Maybe that would change the decisions we make today. I'm talking about more than just having a perspective that someday my life is going to end. It's about knowing i got a greater purpose in life than just making money, finding a mate, growing old, doing the life thing. i got a greater purpose. And what really, really matters in the end when I stand before Jesus is really one thing. Do I know him? It's all that matters in that moment, friends. And it's important that I live my entire life making sure I'm ready for that moment. You know, what's interesting is that Jesus tells a story about that moment. And some people are going to be standing in that moment and they're going to be like, Lord, Lord, remember I went through the, I was at church. I was there constantly. I prayed for people. They were healed. And Jesus will look at them and say, I never knew you. Because the only thing that matters is not how much did you go to church? Hey, did you go to Bible study every week? It's do you know him? Do you know him? Friends, that's the only thing that matters in that moment, and then maybe there's one other thing that matters. How many people have you brought with you to heaven? What if we live today in light of this eternal perspective? What if we began with the end in mind? What if this changed how we live today? You know, the greatest joy you and I could ever experience, like I've had amazing, fun moments in life. The day we got married was incredible when our kids were born. Just incredible moments. I'll look back to the moment where Jesus got a hold of my life and I just fully surrendered to him. Uh, that was an incredible weekend of my life. But then beyond that, you know what the other highlights are? There's some other fun moments that we experience in life. But when someone says yes to Jesus and you have a chance to pray with them, like that's the greatest experience that there is because their life has changed forever. And I pray that you and I would experience that over and over and over and over again in our life. You know, that's a calling. That's, not, that's the higher purpose that we're living for, guys. It's not to make a living, to make money and all that. Like, we're called to take as many people to heaven as we possibly can. We're called to live now in light of eternity. I pray that you'd have this eternal perspective, not just for yourself, but for the people around you.
Come on, don't just live a life. I love that old quote from that old BC movie, whatever it was. Like he's like, some people draw a circle around themselves and live for themselves. Some people draw a huge circle around. They just want to include lots of people in their life. I just want to draw a huge circle around the globe and take everybody with me to heaven. That's my heart. I pray that we would draw a huge circle and say, I'm taking people to heaven with me. That's an eternal perspective. You know, we've been doing this disciple maker thing, what we started this year, and it's been so fun to be on this journey with several people in our church. And so we're starting these Bible studies. People are, uh, are finding Jesus. We've, uh, Amy and our daughter, Jaden, who happened to be singing up here this morning, um, they, start, they, they teamed up to start a Bible study with some of Jaden's friends. They had one friend of Jaden's that came, and then all of a sudden they started inviting his other friends, and they've seen three or four or five salvations in this from friends of her, six salvations in this Bible study. And it's been incredible to see how God is using them to minister to my daughter's friends at her school. And these are girls that are struggling with their identity and their purpose in life, like so many people in life. And I just love it when I hear Amy and, and Jaden tell me like, hey, you won't believe so-and-so said yes to Jesus today. We prayed and they believe in Jesus. They've given their life to Jesus, and they're just so excited. It's been incredible to be a part of that and just to watch that, especially in my daughter's life. And so wouldn't you know, they're wanting to get baptized. Two of them are ready to get baptized. And so two weeks ago on Halloween at the youth event at our house, I think we have some pictures of this, we baptized two of these girls in our pool. And Jaden got to baptize her friends in our pool. These are her first baptisms. These were the first baptisms in our pool. The first of many, I'm hoping. Many, many, many. If you got a pool, I hope that you have lots of baptisms in your pool. I can't think of a better way to use a pool. Or a hot tub. Like, I've enjoyed my pool, but like, like that, that's awesome. And so Caden and Kaylee got baptized that night. On Halloween night, which is a great night, right? Come on. <laughs> I, I love that. And I share that because I just love what God's doing through our disciple maker. And it's, it's being connected to the youth ministry. God's on the move in our, our teenagers and the youth. And it was just a celebration of night. But there's these girls, these girls that are finding Jesus. And their life has changed. Not just today, but forever. As they're finding Jesus. And I just love what God is doing in our church. I just, God's igniting this desire in more and more of us, not just in Disciple Maker, but it's really happened in a Disciple Maker. And what's really cool for me to see is that my daughter Jaden has gotten such a vision for reaching her friends that she has actually joined Disciple Maker. A lot of you don't know this. We have a 14-year-old girl in our second training center that we just launched a few weeks ago of Disciple Maker. And she is being trained right now on how to share her story, how to reach her friends, because she wants to reach her whole school. For Jesus. She wants to start more Bible studies. She wants to do it during school. She wants to do it. I mean, she's like, she's catching this vision of like, my friends are getting saved. I think I can reach my whole school. And I say, you go girl. And I'm proud of her because she's my daughter. But also I just love seeing a 14 year old girl catch that vision and say, I can do something. I can do something. And I pray that we would all catch that vision, guys. This is a big part of our heart that we would all be discipling people. We would make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Let's take as many people to heaven as we possibly can because that end will happen. Here's what I know. Everybody lives and everybody dies and everybody stands before their maker. 
that moment's gonna happen. I want you to be ready. And I pray that we take as many people as we possibly can with us to eternity with Jesus. Mm. And it's fun just to celebrate what God's doing here in our church, isn't it? Let me just skip over a bunch of stuff. We'll hit that next week. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and let's go to verse 16 here. The angel goes, he shows John the city. It's shining, it's glorious. Uh, shining with the glory of God. It's got these high walls with 12 gates representing the 12 apostles of Jesus. Scholars love to debate who really are the 12 apostles of Jesus. And if you're a Bible nerd, you love to think about that. Was it Matthias, the guy in Acts chapter 1 that they cast lots for? And it was Matthias, but we never heard from Matthias again, ever. Um, a lot of people think it was actually Apostle Paul. He's the true 12th apostle. Um, but those gates represent the 12 apostles of Jesus. The angel begins to measure the city. And in verse 16, that's what he does. It says, the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and he found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. That's pretty long, isn't it? Yeah, we have no idea. And as wide and high as it is long. So what that is, is actually 1,500 miles approximately. It is 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 miles this way, and 1,500 miles that way. The city, this new city of Jerusalem, it comes from God down to the new earth. Just for reference, I got a map here to show you. This is the circumference, maybe, did we get this? Yeah, of how big the new city of Jerusalem will be. It is capable, people have done the math, it is capable to hold billions upon billions of people and for you and I to still have like hundreds of acres each individually. Because remember, that's just flat. That's 1,500 miles just flat, but it's like 1,500 miles that way too. It's like this huge, massive city in the shape of, of a cube that's just slightly smaller than our moon. You know what's kind of cool about this? Is that when you go back in the Old Testament, you read the Old Testament and Old Covenant, they made the Holy of Holies, the place where the presence of God dwelt, they made it a cube, 15 by 15 by 15. And then in the end, God says, the place that I'm gonna dwell with my people, myself, is gonna be 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500 miles square. And there won't be a need for a temple in the new city. There is no temple. Why? Because he is the temple. Because he is there. Jump to verse 21. The 12 gates were made of 12 pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl. Come on, that's a big oyster. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. Maybe you've heard that, you know, someday we're going to walk through the pearly gates. We're going to run and dance on streets of gold. Well, just so you know, that is actually very biblical. There it is right there. In fact, I heard this story of a guy. He was faithful to Jesus his whole life. And when he died, he bartered with God. He said, God, can I, take, can I just take one suitcase full of stuff to heaven, please? You know, the truth is we can't take anything with us to heaven. We know that, right? I showed a picture of a Hearst pulling a U-Haul. You're never going to see that because you can't take anything with you. But 
God said, okay, you can bring one suitcase full of stuff. And so he grabbed his most valuable possessions and stuffed his suitcase in it. It was gold. He put it gold into a suitcase. And so he, he marched up to the pearly gates and there was Peter. And so Peter's like, you can't bring anything with you to heaven. He's like, oh, I made this deal with God. God said I could bring this. He's like, okay, all right, I'll let you. Let me see what's in the suitcase at least. And so he opened up the suitcase, look at it. And he saw the gold there and let him go. And so John, Apostle John saw all this. He walks up to Peter. He's like, Peter, what? we're not allowed to take anything. What? Why did he do that? Oh, God, he made a deal with God. This is a true story, by the way. He made a deal with God. And so John's like, oh, okay, that's weird. Okay, well, what was in the suitcase? And Peter's like, oh, just pavement. Bible jokes. Some of you might get it later. Again, true story. Verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. That's why we're thankful for Jesus. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And I pray that your name is written there right now. And if it's not, you can make sure that it is today. Those are the people who will experience that incredible city. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, there's three words in, the, in Greek for life. Bios, suke, and zoe. Those are three words. You'll see those even in scripture, in the Greek, in the New Testament. Bios refers to our physical life. It's like our body. It's, our, it's where we get the word biology. Suke refers to our soul life. It's kind of our inner man. It's where we get the word psychology. But then there's this word zoe, and it is the divine life. This is that supernatural life that God has for you and me. When Jesus said in John 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is saying, I have come that they may have not just bio, physical, not just suke, soul life. He says, I have come they may have zoe, which is a divine, supernatural life. It literally means an abundant life, full of vitality, supernatural, filled with all the fullness of God. That's the kind of life that God has for you. It's a zoe life. And I pray that you walk in that today. And that's what the word is here. It's the book of Zoe. It's this divine, supernatural, incredible life, this experience that God has for us that's going to be far greater than anything we've experienced this side of eternity. And I pray that your name is written in the book of Zoe. So keep trusting in him. Keep following him. And here's what we learn. Because Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. But here's what we learn as we live life. God isn't just preparing a place for us. He's preparing you for that place. He's preparing you. You're walking through things. You're growing through things. You're getting stronger. He is preparing you for that place as well. And the more you and I walk through, the more we long to be in that place, right? Uh, the more we see and experience the, the horrors, the evil, and death, it's, it's like there's more we long for heaven. The more we long for that time with Jesus. 
He's preparing you for that place. Make sure you let him. Let him continue to work on you, to work in you, transform you by the renewing of your mind. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.